welcome to this edition of the John and Leah Show. This is the program where each and every Sunday we get together for three hours. We talk about the news of the week, the events of our often bizarre lives, and we do so in an entertaining, informative, and unique fashion. My name is John Ziegler. Of course, it would not be the John and Leah Show without my co-host, Leah Brandon, who comes at us from Birmingham, Alabama. Leah, how was your Thanksgiving holiday? Fantastic. I had the entire week off. It is very hard getting back to work, but, uh, you know, I'm getting in the swing of it. This really isn't work, though, right? I mean, you don't, you don't consider this show to be work, do you? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, yes. Seriously? Definitely. I mean, I know oh, you this get, is, you this get is paid. definite work. <laughs> well, you get paid, but I would I would like to think this is pretty easy work for you. I would like to think <laughs> that you you don't look forward to doing this show. Well, you know what? Wow, I do she look- doesn't. <laughs> this has already been a revelation to 30 seconds into the program. I thought you enjoyed doing the show. You you consider doing this program work. <laughs> wow, look, she can't even lie. It look, I not only is it way past my bedtime to yes, do the show, I but I end up sleeping at the station. So yes, I, I it's a lot. <laughs> look, I know you make a sacrifice, but there's a part it's of me fine. there was a part of me that would like to think that you look forward to us revisiting our old days at KFI. No, in Los I definitely Angeles. do. There's no question uh, about that. All right, now we usually start the program talking about uh, sports that occur over the weekend, and we will get to the big college football weekend uh, momentarily. Uh, but I also often joke about the fact that uh, you're there in Alabama where people care about their guns, Jesus, and college football. And yes. I'm broadcasting from just north of Los Angeles where people barely even care about themselves. And there's or, a, That's all they care about is themselves. Right. Um, and there's a lot of truth in, in that joke that I uh, use often in this program. But uh, something happened today that people in Los Angeles – might actually care about, and it's in the realm of sports. And um, and if you are checking out the Twitter or Facebook or the Internet, uh, you would think that I'm referring to the death of Kobe Bryant. Um, no, he, he didn't actually die, although uh, that's what it's uh, being portrayed as by a lot of people. Uh, a lot of tears being shed over the fact that Kobe Bryant, the legendary Laker basketball player, announced in what I think is a brilliant PR move, uh, that he is retiring from basketball at the end of this season. Right. Now, um, for those who may not know, now most people know who Kobe Bryant is. He's clearly a household name. He's definitely, you know, I would guess the second most famous current basketball player behind LeBron James. And for a while was the, the most famous basketball player after Michael Jordan. Um, but I think most people probably are aware that uh, he plays for the Lakers and he is having a horrific season. Um, absolutely horrible. I, I mean, if he was trying out for the Lakers right now, he would not make the team. Really? And, and it's that bad. It's embarrassing. It truly is embarrassing for someone as great as he was. And he's coming off of a couple of seasons where he barely played because of injury. He's 37 years old. It's It was obvious to everybody he, he was never going to play next year anyway. I mean, it, would be, it was essentially, I, I joked on Twitter, it's basically the equivalent of me announcing I've decided against trying to run in the 100-meter dash in the, the Olympics in 2016. <laughs> I mean, that's basically what Kobe did today. It would today. never happen. It's yeah. never going to happen anyway. You weren't playing next year anyway, buddy. Uh, but it was a brilliant move on his part to announce his retirement, first of all, when he's doing it, and how he did it. Because he released a letter. He released a letter that was uh, basically a letter to basketball. That's how it started. 
Dear Basketball. And I'm fascinated by this letter. I'm not quite sure why. You and I have discussed in the program before that I'm becoming almost obsessed with goodbyes. And I don't know whether or not it's because, you know, as I mentioned before, my mother was killed in a car accident, so there was no goodbye there. Or whether the fact that I'm, you know, 48 years old now and starting to see the handwriting on the wall for me. Or that I have a three-year-old daughter who, you know, she's at that stage where you're basically saying goodbye to all different elements of her life constantly because she's constantly changing and becoming a different person almost every couple of months. So for some reason, this is... This is hitting me more, this this concept of goodbyes at this stage in my life than it has previously. And I also noticed that in the realm of sports and really almost every element of life, good goodbyes are becoming harder and harder to find. Yeah, uh, they're usually firings. Well, yeah, I mean, we see it. Heck, we almost we saw it in college football a couple times this weekend. Uh, it, for whatever reason, even legends don't get to say goodbye properly anymore, partially because of their own... Uh, sense of narcissism and you know, delusion about what they're capable of, and also partially because we are such a short attention span culture now where we don't care what you did for us before. It's about no. what, what's going to happen tomorrow. And mm-hmm. if you, you can't get it done for us tomorrow, goodbye. You're out. Yeah, goodbye. So here, goodbye. I, I want to share part of Kobe's letter because I'm curious if you have the same reaction to it that that I did. And, and keep in mind, of course, you and I uh, covered Kobe's rape trial quite extensively oh, yes. uh, at oh, Camp yes. in Los Angeles. And I was somebody who thought, eh, kind of guilty there, Kobe. Um, wasn't yep. sure, wasn't sure, but it certainly left a very bad taste in my mouth. But, but this, I thought, was a brilliant PR move. This letter, this is the beginning of the letter from Kobe Bryant. Dear Basketball, from the moment I started rolling my dad's tube socks and shooting imaginary game-winning shots in the Great Western Forum, that's here in Los Angeles, I knew one thing was real. I fell in love with you, a love so deep I gave you my all, from my mind and body to my spirit and soul. As a six-year-old boy deeply in love with you, I never saw the end of the tunnel. I only saw myself running out of one. And then he writes a couple more paragraphs, and then he finishes... You gave a six-year-old boy his Laker dream, and I'll always love you for it. But I can't love you as obsessively for much longer. This season is all I have left to give. My heart can take the pounding. My mind can handle the grind. But my body knows it's time to say goodbye. And that's okay. I'm ready to let you go. I want you to know now so we both can savor every moment we have left together. The good and the bad. We have given each other all that we have. And we both know, no matter what I do next, I'll always be that kid with the rolled up socks, garbage can in the corner, five seconds on the clock, ball in my hands, five, four, three, two, one. Love you always, Kobe. I thought that was awesome. Yeah. Now, he didn't write that. <laughs> yeah, of course not. There is, there is, His manager hired someone. Who, whoever the PR person <laughs> that decided to do this in this way is brilliant because they took a situation that was going to be catastrophically embarrassing and instantly turned it around. So now he can do no wrong. He can he can screw up whatever he wants for the rest of the season. It's a nice goodbye. Uh, he's admitted he can't play anymore for all intents and purposes. The Lakers suck. They're not going to the playoffs. And uh, this was tremendous. I mean, brilliant. And also, I mean, 
I'm sure that it's just his real sentiment. You know, if he, you know, if he didn't suck right now, and if he wasn't maybe a rapist, I would almost put this. These are two big ifs. I would almost put this letter in the category of Ronald Reagan's goodbye letter. Really? That's how good I think it is. I mean, nothing's ever going to beat Ronald Reagan's goodbye letter. I mean, you know, because he knew he had Alzheimer's and he had. That's right. I mean, he had, I mean that, that's that's an all-timer. Now, nothing will ever beat that. But this, from a sports perspective, that's pretty darn good. Pretty darn good. All right. Now, when we come back, um, I, I do want to get into what happened in college football this weekend and broaden it a little bit to um, what's happening with Thanksgiving and a lot of other our other sacred traditions that are being destroyed by this new mentality we have in our country. We'll do that when we come back on the John and Leah show and the free speech broadcasting network. Welcome back to the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. This program is broadcast live on 20 different stations throughout the United States of America, including in New York and in Los Angeles. You can check out all of those stations at our website, www.freespeechbroadcasting.com. During this time of year, we generally uh, start the program with a little look at uh, what happened over the weekend in college football. In, in my opinion, Leah, at least traditionally, this has been the best weekend that there is in college football because you have oh, yes. a lot of the rivalry games and the season's coming to an end for a lot of the seasons, the teams. And and uh, obviously there in Alabama, it's uh, traditionally the Iron Bowl between Alabama and Auburn. Yes. And uh, I love college football, although it's hard for me to find a team to root for. I now root for very strange things, like, for instance, I root for whoever is playing Missouri now. Uh, because uh, they're such a bunch of wussies. Uh, so I, I was happy that Missouri ended their season, it looks like, uh, with another loss. Uh, yeah. go, go screw, why don't you go, guys go on strike now, uh, you wussies. Um, and so, um, but, but and as you know, Lee, I tend to look at things um, in a way that, for better or for worse, most people don't. Um, and I see things that a lot of people don't. And what I'm seeing happening uh, with college football really bugs me. Uh, because it is the best uh, sport that we have, and because it's so great and because it, it's so lucrative, I think we're screwing the heck out of it uh, in a way that I think will eventually lead to its ultimate destruction. And I think we almost saw that uh, this weekend. Now, before we get to that element, you know, just a couple quick points. It now looks to me very much like there's not going to be much controversy as to who makes the uh, four-team playoff. Uh, you know, Alabama ain't going to lose to Florida in the SEC. Nope. That, that, that is just a, a just a catastrophe waiting to happen, that game. Um, and I don't see Clemson losing to North Carolina. Uh, the Big Ten winner will be in there, and then it looks like Oklahoma – uh, will win because we'll get in because uh, Notre Dame lost to Stanford in a way that was just so weird. Notre Dame actually lost that game because I don't know if you saw the end of it. They actually lost that game in a very similar way to the way uh, what happened to Alabama in the pick six game. If you remember, oh my god, I'm, sh- I'm sure you remember that very well as everyone in Alabama yes. does. Well, Alabama lost that game because they won a video challenge. To allow mm-hmm. them to kick that field goal. Well, yeah. Notre Dame won a, a video challenge that they should not have won on their last touchdown. There should have been one more play, which would have taken some more time off the clock. They would have scored anyway. They would have won the game. But anyway, that didn't work out. Notre Dame lost. Stanford won. And 
and it looks as if uh, you know Stanford will probably end up being the, the fifth team out. But here's here's where I'm headed with with where, why I think college football is in big trouble. College football, much like this country, it, it, it used to be based on tradition. And one of the great traditions of college football are the rivalries. And let's take where you are, the Iron Bowl. No better rivalry than Alabama-Auburn. And, right. there, and there's a lot of reasons why these rivalries are now in grave jeopardy, whether anyone wants to admit it or not. Number one, by the way, happens to be um, a reason that's directly related to liberalism, uh, which is not just that football in general is under attack, but two – that the word hate, the word hate is now almost a crime, right? It should be outlawed. I don't think that word should ever be used. It should be outlawed. <laughs> what, did you, where, did you take some classes at Missouri and I didn't know about it, Leah? What, well, what? it's just overused uh, uh, in situations where people disagree. Oh, hate speech. Okay. Well, no, but I think you know where I'm headed with this is that we've made – the word hate, politically incorrect. Oh, don't hate anybody. Well, come on. The the essence of any good rivalry, I'm sorry, is hate. And I'm also sorry that an awful lot of good has been done in this world correcting injustice because of hate. We, we hated the hell out of the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. The hate was what, what, was what won us World War II. I'm sorry. We hated the Nazis and we hated the Japanese. Without hate, we don't win. All right? So, so hate, say, hate is highly underrated if used properly. Uh, but we're not allowed to hate anymore. So that's, that's number one. Um, but number two is something structurally that really bugs me. Uh, I want you to do a thought experiment for me, Leah. Under, right. under this current system that college football has concocted to make everybody a lot of money, except, of course, for the players. Right. If Alabama had beaten Old Miss, which easily could have happened since they, they almost won despite having turned the ball over five times. If Alabama had beaten Old Miss, I'd like you to explain to me what was at stake yesterday for Alabama and Auburn? Uh, well, for Alabama, really Nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. For Auburn, other than beating Alabama in a game they wouldn't care about, very little, too, because they were already eligible for a bowl game since they had won six games. Right. So so we were within a hair, a Jordan hair, you might say. <laughs> we, we were within a hair of Alabama-Auburn, meaning nothing, nothing. We were also within a hair. If Navy, the Naval Academy, had won their game against Houston, we were within a hair. One game, Navy beats Houston, which most people thought they would. They didn't. If that happens, what most people once thought of as the game in college football, Army-Navy, becomes a literal nuisance. A nuisance. Because Navy would play in a conference title game, then play Army, then play in a major bowl game. That's how close we are to this whole thing that made college football great, imploding. And and I guarantee you, if we go to eight teams in a playoff, which a lot of people want, that's exactly what's going to happen. You're going to have all of these games be meaningless for the top teams because they're going to be afraid of injury. They're just going to want to make the playoffs. It's all about the money, baby. Uh, and it's really depressing to me. Very, and, it, and it leads me to what's happening to Thanksgiving because I want to talk about that because it's very similar. When we come back on the John and Leah show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network.
Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My co-host is Leah Brandon. In the next hour, we'll take our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. And yes, we'll be talking about uh, Donald Trump and his dust-up with that disabled reporter. Can't wait to talk about that. But before we um, move on, uh, I want to give Leah Brandon a chance to, um, I guess, rebut my comments in the last (laughs) segment uh, where I implied that we're dangerously close to a lot of these college football rivalries, including the the most heated rivalry in all the land, uh, Alabama-Auburn, which is played uh, every year after Thanksgiving in the Iron Bowl. Uh, We're in danger of these games losing their meaning. And, Leah, you wanted, as as someone who lives there, you wanted to object to that uh, concept. Yes. Uh, Yes. I'm just not sure that you really get the rivalry between (laughs) Alabama and Auburn. Hold on. When you first decided to move to Birmingham, what was the first thing I told you? You better learn to love football. And, no, well, actually, it was more specific than that. I said, yeah, you better pick a team. You're not going to believe Alabama-Auburn. You're not going to believe the Iron Bowl. And I and I believe I, I got you to promise to get me tickets, which you never did. Because uh, that's hey. one, of the, one of the few things I've not done in sports is gone to an Iron Bowl. But you know what? I got to yeah, tell good you. Luck, good luck with getting those tickets. But frankly, <laughs> frankly, I've lost interest in going to the Iron Bowl because it's not the Iron Bowl anymore. Because they've changed the system. And, let, and I understand full well that to the fans it's going to take to the fans it will take a long time for them to realize that the game is often irrelevant all right but that's not what it's about uh, it's not about moving forward or anything like that it is seriously just about beating the other uh, team no matter if it matters or not i get that right now i'm talking about how quickly things can change. I mean, we're about to talk about Thanksgiving. Did you ever? Would you ever imagine five years ago that it would be routine for for stores to be advertising they're open on Thanksgiving? Now you would have thought that was nuts, right? These things collapse incredibly quickly. And what I and to kids, that's what these are. These are these are kids playing this game. They're they're 19, 20, 21 year old kids. To these kids. Tradition is what happened two or three years ago. That's it. That's what tradition is. And anything longer than that means nothing to them. And so what they're focused on, because that's what everyone else is focused on now, is championships, playoffs, national television. That's what they care about. And when this game, when this season is over for Alabama, if everything goes well, if everything goes well for Alabama and they play in the national championship game and they look back on this season, their win against their arch rival Auburn will be at best, at best, their fifth most important game this year. Okay, well, first of all, I totally agree with what you just said, but I'm not sure that the reasons why you're saying it are the reason why, because for Auburn, in their locker room, it's nothing but beat Alabama, whereas Alabama is all about the national championship. Okay, well, look, I mean, I, I've covered uh, Ohio State and Michigan, and when you go into the Ohio State locker room, the first thing you see is a big sign, what have you done to beat Michigan today? Uh, yeah, but, but, it's but, funny. Uh, okay, but but I'll tell you what, very similar situation could have happened with that game this year. Where, where Ohio State, if they had won out and Michigan lost one more game, that game would have been completely irrelevant, and, and Ohio State would have basically been more concerned with avoiding injury than winning the game. I mean, I don't want to get – this is important not just for sports fans because I think it's, it's a bigger picture here of what we're – two things, really. 
What bothers me about it is the basis of this is liberalism. It's a liberal mindset that decided, well, we're going to take something really good, but there's a couple of minor flaws in it, so we're going to fix it. Kind of like Obamacare, right? We're going to take the best health care system in the world, and we're going to fix it by really screwing the hell out of it. And that's what's happening. And the idea is somehow we can make a perfect world. You can't make a perfect world, and liberals never understand unintended consequences. And all of these plans have unintended consequences that completely baffle and never get even brought up to the, the small-minded liberal because they, they're incapable of seeing it. And so, so you're that, saying the BCS, we should have stayed with the BCS? No, is that, what that, you was, that was terrible, too. <laughs> this whole thing, I could fix this whole thing in 15 minutes. Uh, but but no, one, no one wants to listen to me. Um, and it's only going to get worse. That's why I'm more, most worried about. It's only going to get worse because it's the current system is now making more money. So, like liberals, they're going to think, well, if we... More of this has got to be good, right? Yes. So, so oh, that's four, true. if four is making money, eight's going to make twice as much money because they think everything happens in a vacuum and there are no unintended consequences for anything. Well, that's bolderdash. So, and so that leads me to Thanksgiving because you know it is amazing to me how fast Thanksgiving has been basically wiped off the planet. I mean, Thanksgiving used to be a really big holiday. Now it's a speed bump between Halloween and Christmas. And and the fact that people are now routinely shopping on Thanksgiving and that stores are being and malls are now being forced to be open, forced to be open on Thanksgiving afternoon is is mind blowing to me. Not to mention the fact that you got Christmas decorations out and Christmas sales in the middle of October because why? Same mentality. Well, yeah. oh, we made money on Christmas when it was 25 days uh, long season. What if we made it 40 days? There'll be no unintended consequences for that. Baloney! There's plenty of unintended consequences for that. By the way, one of which is, as a father I now know, and I have a three-year-old daughter, now I got a three-year-old who's hyped up about Christmas 35 days ahead of time. <laughs> how, do, how do I deal with that? How, how do I keep that going for 35 days in the mindset of a three-year-old? I mean, but these, but this is what's, you know, we often talk, and I at least often mention, that we have left the t- gravitational pull of the rational earth uh, in the news on a weekly basis. But we're also leaving the gravitational pull of a lot of our, for lack of a better term, traditions. No, we totally and, are. I mean, tradition means nothing. It's what happens. Nothing happened. is sacred. Nothing. Nothing. And so when, not, when, when a society that has no basis, no traditions, that doesn't honor its past, uh, or and, and especially its elders, especially with, what really pisses me off is, no, no country has a better past than this one. What, why, why are we so? Uh, a bunch of racists. Why are we so eager to change Killers. everything? What, why? What, I mean, it's not like we were in last place. We, we, we were in first, and the more Damn. we change, we keep dropping. What, what, what is the hurry here? I mean, I realize I'm an old white guy. What, what I say doesn't matter anymore. I understand that because you know, black lives matter and white lives you don't. You don't get the struggle, you know. Yeah, yeah, I know. So, but it just it it really bugs me. And and when people don't believe in the slippery slope, just I mean, again, look at Thanksgiving. 
Would anybody believe five, even five years, you know, Obama promised he was going to fundamentally transform America, and I'm not blaming him. He did him. it. Congratulations. No, he kept that promise, and I'm not blaming him specifically for Thanksgiving, but I'm talking, it's, it's a mentality. It's a mentality where the past means nothing. Change, as it, which is his code word, is inherently good, regardless of whether or not it makes sense or not, and whether or not there are unintended consequences or not. Uh, and I think we've seen it with Thanksgiving. Uh, and I think that uh, I think we're lesser for it. I mean, Thanksgiving is an important holiday with, with, with actual real concepts and lessons and principles. And we've now just it's just practice for Christmas now. That's all it is. It, it, it is. And that's all it is. And, you know, the Christmas holiday shopping season starts before Thanksgiving now because we got to make a couple extra bucks. And I don't even believe you're actually making any more money. I really don't. I, I, I don't either. I think it's just spread out over certain days. Yeah, the pie is basically the same. I mean, what, what, I don't know what the argument would be that the pie is larger, uh, but, you know, maybe somewhere out there someone can explain to me why the pie would be larger. I just think you're spreading the pie out more, and, and then you're, you're screwing with a lot of uh, sacred or formerly sacred traditions. All right, now, speaking of which, I had to do a mea culpa in a huge way because uh, back when we were on KFI and be- even before we met, I would traditionally use the Thanksgiving weekend to talk about my strong feelings about what a, a bad lesson Santa Claus uh, tells our children, and I am the biggest hypocrite. Boy, in the kill hit- joy. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I was the Scrooge of all time. Now that I've got a kid, I realize how dumb I was and what an incredible hypocrite I am. And I'll explain that when we come back on the John and Leah Show and the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. Welcome back. This is the John and Leah Show. My name is John Ziegler. My ghost is Leah Brandon. In the next hour of the program, our weekly look at the race for the White House 2016. Lots to talk about there. But uh, first of all, I, I want to, um, before we get to that, I want to use this segment to do a bit of a mea culpa and uh, and, and show you just how um, open I am. I, Leah, as you know, I used to joke that I'm the most open-minded person in the world, and damn it, no one can convince me otherwise. That's right. Uh, I hope you figured out the irony in that statement. Uh, but it's also actually true. I'm a very opinionated person, but when I'm wrong, I'm the first to acknowledge it. And I want to admit that I am 100% wrong and 1,000% of a hypocrite on an issue that I used to use this weekend to discuss um, on a yearly basis, back when we were at KFI in Los Angeles together and even before that when I was on in WHS in Louisville and in Philadelphia um, all these other markets that fired me somewhere along the way. <laughs> uh, I, I would use the Thanksgiving week and Black Friday and what have you to talk about how I thought at the time that Santa Claus was teaching our kids horrendous lessons. That not only was he giving away free stuff in you know somewhat of a uh, liberal conspiracy, which I didn't believe was conspiracy. I'm not a conspiracy person, but that inherently Santa Claus is a liberal, right? I mean, you, you get stuff for nothing. Um, and wow. it's and it's and it's magic. By the way, it's magic that you get stuff for nothing. No one explains where he's, 
getting the money to pay for these gifts. You know, the, the business model doesn't seem to work for Santa Claus. But we don't worry about that because it's all magic. But and you have to be good at least. I mean, this not really. is stuff that you earn. Not really. That's only in theory. How many kids have ever actually gotten any coal in their stockings? Not too many. <laughs> um, so, but okay. So, so that my theory was first of all that Santa was bad from that perspective, but also that Santa was creating expectations for life that are completely out of control with reality. And see, I've I've always believed. That one of the things that made me who I am, for better or for worse, (laughs) and I've often thought for worse, (laughs) is that I grew up as a huge sports fan uh, in Philadelphia, in the suburbs of Philadelphia, in the late 70s and early 80s, which were the greatest times to be a Philadelphia sports fan that there's ever been. And every team I and even my college, Notre Dame football was my college team, and they were great then. I mean, everybody, everybody I rooted for was awesome. And I got this delusional idea that, wow, the world is really great. You know, I, I, (laughs) this is tremendous. This is just going to be really a lot of fun. And then I ran into them. Kind of like how Alabama fans feel. (laughs) (laughs) Then I ran into the Mack truck of reality and realized, oh my God, life sucks. Um, And it was, you know, it was very difficult to deal with. Now, part of that was my own doing, but but the analogy here is, that we're teaching our kids that the world is a magical place where amazing things happen. And then, oh, by the way, we pull the rug out from under them when they're whatever, 8, 9, 10, 11, whatever it is. And we say, oh, by the way, that was all a big lie. And uh, the world really sucks. And uh, there is no magic here, as my three-year-old daughter often uh, <laughs> references, which I'll get to in a second. So, uh, and that was my argument, which, by the way, logically still works, right? But now I'm a dad. Of a three-year-old girl mm-hmm. uh, who is absolutely in love with the concept of Christmas. Of and, course. And I am the biggest hypocrite there could possibly be. It, it, it is it is pathetic what an unbelievable hypocrite uh, I have become on this issue where I am now like the greatest defender of the Santa Claus myth that there ever is. I am like a white knight with his sword of anti-truth defending anything that threatens the Santa Claus myth. As uh, well you should be. Uh, to, the, to the point where this is how pathetic it is. So um, as part of the Santa Claus myth, we do this thing called Elf on the Shelf. You ever yeah, heard? everybody's been doing that. That's like a new thing All right, well, over the past, you know, 10 years or so. Okay, well, here's the deal with Elf on the Shelf. So there's this this little doll elf uh, that we call Eli. I don't even know why we call him Eli, but okay, um, it's Eli. And uh, around Christmas time, by the way, we, we, had to, we had to hold out to bring Eli out until after Thanksgiving because of all this pressure that Christmas now starts like on, you know, November 1st. Uh, so so we, we, we bring Eli out in a different place every morning. And the point of Eli is Eli is the messenger between our daughter and Santa Claus. So he's, right. like, he's like the eyes and the ears. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, he, he's the one who tells Santa whether or not my daughter has been a good girl or a bad girl. Now, <laughs> interestingly, you would think, you would think, as I had hoped, that the one good part of the Santa Claus myth was that at least during December you could count on your kids behaving, right? Correct. Because now you got them, you got you know got huge blackmail over them. You would think you that do. Would, uh, that would be by far the best element of the Santa Claus myth, except for our daughter 
The threat of taking away television is way more threat than the idea that Santa's going to leave coal in her stocking because she just doesn't believe that. She scoffs at that. Like, yeah, right, whatever. I, 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 me? Are you kidding? Did you see what he brought me last year? There's no way I'm getting coal. I mean, that's her whole attitude. Um, and so, so anyway, Eli um, made his first appearance uh, the day after Thanksgiving. And of course, mm-hmm. I'm the. <laughs> it's so ridiculous. I'm the one that's like honchoing this whole thing. I'm making sure that before I go to bed, I'm finding a good spot for Eli. You know, we, we put him on the, this uh, the Christmas sled that we put in front of our our uh, fireplace. Make this sure whole he, elf thing is so much work. Who oh, came up with well, this? Well, it's actually dangerous because, like to this afternoon. Uh, you know, she and my wife came in and I'm like, oh, my gosh, Eli, I realized because I was trying to take a nap because I hadn't slept the night before because she woke me up to take, you know, go to the bathroom. And so I was trying to take a nap to be ready for the show. And I'm like, oh, damn, Eli is out. I got to go get him because <laughs> if she comes back, she's going to, you know, because Eli's supposed to disappear in the middle of the day. So, I mean, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of maintenance. But here's the funny part. OK, it, it, so and here's really the, the the main purpose of the story, I think. And that is so. So we bring. Eli out, or I bring him out, uh, again, in the biggest hypocritical moment of my life, considering my past statements on this whole issue, uh, and she's very excited. She's, oh my gosh, because she's been talking about Eli for 11 months, basically. You know, when's Eli coming? Since he went away. Right, since he went away. And so Eli's there, and she's like, so excited, and mommy, come see, Eli's here, and we're, okay, cool, because she's three years old, so, you know, she's pretty smart, but she doesn't, she's fully buying into the myth, at least we think. And then she looks at him, and she looks him over, and she's not allowed to touch him. That's part of the deal with Eli. I don't know why, but you're not allowed to touch Eli the elf. And she looks him over, and she goes, he's not talking. I go, no, 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 no. Eli doesn't talk. He only listens. He only watches, and he only listens. And then she says, very dramatically, very, very emphatically to my wife and I, I think Eli's fake. (laughs) I think Eli is fake. So we're like, oh, my God, what do we do? What do we do? (laughs) Warning, warning, danger, danger, Will Robinson. Hello, it's like the museum at night. He only comes alive at night. Okay, but she's asleep at night. I mean, so I'm, I'm, I'm not sure where you're right. going. Right. So, so my my point is, well, first of all, here I am, incredibly conflicted on on every level because one, I'm worried that she's already losing the Christmas magic, which I had decried numerous times on numerous radio stations. But part of me is also thinking, how awesome is this? Me, the professional cynic, that my three-year-old daughter already gets that this whole thing is bullcrap. So, so, so I'm like. In a lot of ways, I'm going, yeah, way to go, Grace. <laughs> she, no, 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 no. She's too, she's way too, you had better pump up this whole thing somehow and uh, and and continue to make it real for her. She's way too young for this to happen. No, but you can't even understand why I would be quietly excited that my three-year-old daughter had a BS detector that's better than mine? Uh, yeah, but, you know, come on. Come on! She's three, John! <laughs> well, that was the... Dist- I think she thinks it's not the real Eli. No, 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 no. She, so, no, she, she absolutely, she said, no, I think it's fake. I don't think Eli is real. Now, um, but to your point, 
Uh, I did spend the next two days pumping up Eli, again, in, in massive hypocrisy, uh, <laughs> pumping up Eli as much as I could. Uh, she want, I got her to want to leave him a note. Uh, and then here I am with my horrible penmanship. I had I had Eli write her a note on the note she left for Eli the next day, which I could tell she wasn't buying. <laughs> I could tell she's like, she didn't say it, but she's kind of like, Daddy, that kind of looks like your handwriting. In a, in a weird way, I, I think Grace, this is going to probably sound like I'm giving her too much credit. She's taking a very Catholic view of this, which is she doesn't really, really believe but she's going to act like she does just to hedge her bets because <laughs> you never know. She's going to go along with she's it gonna, just in case. Just in case. She doesn't want to jeopardize this whole Christmas scam. <laughs> okay, and you never know. There could be repercussions that I'm unaware of. So I kind of <laughs> believe. I'm not sure if I believe. Mom and dad seem to want me to believe. So let's I'll not, go with it yeah, for let, now. For now. Let's not mess with the gravy train. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what a hypocrite I am on the uh, issue of Christmas, and uh, I'll keep you updated on that. When we come back, a weekly look at the race of the White House 2016. That means Donald Trump on the John and Leah Show on the Free Speech Broadcasting Network. 